Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. With me, as always, is my co-host, Susan Fox. Welcome, teddy bears. And our guest today is Tom Gandolfi, or Thomas Gandolfi who is the author of a rather cool little book called Toy Wars from Tom Stoffel Press. Welcome to the show. Hello there, and welcome to all of you geeks out there. (laughs) We met this lovely man at the recent World Science Fiction Convention. Had a big setup with not just uh, books like Toy Wars and the the 80% solution, but... Uh, boy, that's just more than an action figure, wasn't it? You had the whole uh, teddy bear with the uh, accessories. Why did you tell us about that? You know, there, yeah, there is an interesting story behind that. You know, the main character of Toy Wars is a two-meter-tall teddy bear that carries around an M16. And uh, when I uh, originally, you know, started getting myself out there and getting the book out there. Um, I decided, you know, what better way to bring people into the booth than to actually have this large teddy bear there with a scale model M16 plastic, of course, there in my booth. Well, my immediate, uh, what do you want to call it, advisors, the people that I take their opinion on a lot, I told them about this and they said, oh, no, don't do that. That would be a horrible thing because you'll scare everybody away. Oh, for heaven's sakes. What doorknob, for, what doorknob told you that? <laughs> well, uh, um, that would include my wife and <laughs> my best friends. And a lovely okay. doorknob she is. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? You know, most of the time I listen to their advice because they give me good advice. And this time I said, you know what? I know the market a little bit better than that. I'm going to do that. And so now I've got a, you know, about half sized, uh, you know, uh, from the, you know, from the book, he's about three foot tall with this again, scale model plastic M16 and battle damage all over him. And he's my mascot and I carry him everywhere with me now. Uh, take pictures mm-hmm. of them in weird places and post it up on Facebook. I must be joyous and, to go through the airport with. You know, I, 
I have never been stopped. I've had the uh, people in the security, you know, Homeland Security. I had one guy say, mm, technically that's a violation. And he brought in his supervisor. And he says, nobody's going to believe that's a real gun, even if he tried to use it. So <laughs> it's just, hold on. <laughs> oh, that's great. But- that's great. <clears throat> the the bear the bear has as many as many frequent flyer miles as I do. You know, <laughs> of course he doesn't get as good a seat. He gets stuffed into the uh, overhead compartment. So I, I was going to ask if he got his own seat, but I guess not. No, unfortunately not. That's that's funny. So um, I have only read about the first three chapters of Toy Wars. Susan has read the entire thing. Um, Gulped it down. Yeah, just wow. And, and uh, I unfortunately have been uh, so busy with the day-to-day operation of the station that this is the first chance I've had to sit down with it. And but now I'm really lighted. sorry. I'm really sorry <laughs> because I I just wanted to – I didn't want to do the show. I wanted to go read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you were late. <laughs> yeah, that's actually – that's part of why. <laughs> Well, you know what? That's that is okay. As I'll tell you, as an author, that's the kind of compliment that makes us keep doing this. Because I'll tell you, being an author is a marathon. Okay, you're going to be doing this for three to, if you're really lucky, three years, all the way up to seven or eight years before you're really starting to make an income at it. Hmm. Okay. And so, you know, I've been lucky so far. Our My business broke or actually made a very, very tiny profit in our second year. Congratulations. Well done. I mean, as, yes, as a business I, I, owner myself, I can tell you that's an achievement. I've been a small business owner before. And yes, it's an extreme achievement. But I have, I've had that background. So I kind of knew what was going on and what I had to do. But yeah, it's it's a marathon, and I keep telling new authors, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. You've got to be able to keep your spirits up through the seven years it's going to take before you're actually making an, uh, you know, a living doing this. Seven years? Easily. Yeah. Yeah. And that's assuming you're good at it. I mean, if you're not good at it, you're never going to make a living at it, obviously. But, you know... My first actual convention that I went to, I'd, I actually almost threw in the towel before I even went to my first, con, you know, actual convention. Um, but I went to my first convention, sold a few books, had a young lady come back to me on the second day. Her eyes were bloodshot, <laughs> big bags under her eyes. And she came up to me, you know, obviously very weary. And she looked at me and she says, I read that book until three in the morning until my mom came in and told me I had to turn out the light. No finer compliment could she have paid you. Exactly. And I have had enough of those that it just keeps me going. I have people that come to my booth and buy, you know, they just walk up to my booth. What What new do you have this year? Well, I have mm-hmm. this, and I'll start to give the pitch. Don't bother. Uh, I have this, and uh, no, no, just don't bother. Just package them up, and 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 I'll take them. You know, <laughs> nice. That's it's, nice. It's, 
it's just those kind of things are the things that keep you keep authors going because it's this is a this is a it, it's it's a lot of work. It something is. that most oh. people don't realize. Oh yes, it's 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 not just writing the books. It's it's uh, figuring out who your market is and then re- figuring out how to reach that market and how you can do it most effectively. And then once you do that, you have to shuttle around to the conventions, and it seems like a big waste of time, and you don't get a lot back per convention. To, uh, doing it but it's the reputation you know and you're building up the awareness of your company um in in the circles for your your target market and it's all invisible benefits at at first while you're while you're doing it and it takes forever so you don't know if what you're doing is actually working or not you you get a good sense of it we call it our um author's platform but you just described it's your author's platform. Okay. And it's not just the books. Okay. If you're doing just writing, you're not, not going to make it. Um, uh, that's a, that's a problem that most new authors do is they write their books and expect people to come and flock to it. No, no, no. You got to get out there and stump your books and say, you know, be excited about it, mm-hmm. you know, give readings. But beyond that, you also have to do something else. It, it each author has his something else that they do. I do seminars on mm-hmm. writing, marketing, things of that nature. Um, other authors also are, say, typesetters, so they mm-hmm. can you know help other authors. So we, we every author has to have at least one other something that they do, or they can't make it. Well, it's it's like. Um... Before we get back to that subject, I wanted to ask you, sure. um, uh, when you were first starting out, was how early in the process did uh, Toy Wars happen as a book? <laughs> first book, last okay. book, latest book. So I'm going to, I'm going to, let, let me back up just a second then. I started writing in high school and you may not be able to tell it from my voice, but I'm in my fifties now. Okay. Um, I have written way over a million words. Um, where, where I think right now, if I figured it out, I'm approaching about 5 million words. Okay. Of, um, in fact, my mentor in the game said, you don't know what you're doing until you've written a million words. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually, that number actually may be too small. So I've been writing for a long time. My first piece that I actually sold and made money on, I was in my 30s. And there's another story there. If you have time later in the show, I'd be more than happy to share. (laughs) But um, at that point, I knew that I wanted to do this as my, uh, we'll call it a retirement career. Okay. I always wanted to be an author, but I had a very, very good, and in fact, I still do have a very, very good job as an electrical engineer. So I couldn't see, uh, you know, putting away my high, um, my high five-figure job, which I actually enjoyed, now low six-figure job, and quitting that to try to make a living as an author. So I decided to do this as a retirement job. Toy Wars was actually written to, uh, almost twenty years ago. Oh my goodness. Before Toy Story, okay, mm-hmm. 
before anybody even thought of toys or, or that one movie that just drives me crazy, Ted. Okay. Oh, yes. Um, and I can see Before why. any of those. Okay. But I didn't have my company up and running and I couldn't afford to take time out to do it. So it's, um, it was a core work. I mean, f- from the beginning, it was back in the, you know, it was in the waiting in the wings, waiting for its moment, uh, moment in the sun. Quite literally. I've got another book that I wrote almost at the same time. In fact, I kind of interleaved them, but instead of kind of the light, more light hearted, you know, toy story, it's this really super dark, uh, thing that again, all my advisors are saying, don't publish that thing. <laughs> You'll, people will come hunting you with guns, you know, <laughs> real guns. Well, and it's, it's funny that you say, you know, lighthearted toy, uh, story about toys. And, and the first thing, it's kind of grim. The first thing that happens is, <laughs> is, uh, uh, Teddy gets handed, uh, an M16. It's like he's awake for like two minutes, and the first thing that happens is he's handed two guns, an M16 and a sidearm. Yep. Like a soldier. Yeah. Yeah, and it, Toy Wars, even though it has – I call it hard sci-fi with a candy-coated shell, okay? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's – Literally, it's, literally it's, okay, because you've, got the, you've uh-huh. got the fun of the toys and some inside jokes about the toys – such as the Barbie doll that's made out of plastic explosives and mm-hmm. runs it to the other side and blows up. Okay. But it's a it's an honest treaty about war and trying to stop war. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> and uh but it's done with such a wonderful voice. I mean obviously uh, it, the first thing that takes you about the book is that um, except for the prologue, the rest of it is all told from the first person, and it has to be because he's the only person. <laughs> exactly. It, well, at least at the beginning, uh-huh. you, you, will, you will learn that that we will have other people, so to speak, um, sentient beings. They learn how to transfer his sentience to others. Ah, uh-huh. So I, I haven't gotten that far in the book yet. So I, I I know the, <laughs> you don't that doesn't come uh-huh. in till I believe about chapter five. So um, you got yeah. got a while to go. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to be spending some quality time with this because <laughs> this is just it's just too cool. I mean, and and it's all uh, uh, you spend a lot of time talking about strategy and tactics in um uh um. Cavalry, you know, like ground warfare uh-huh. with, with air support and, and uh, uh, your knowledge of this kind of uh, military tactics is rather substantial and it shows and it makes for a very solid bedrock upon which to base this story. You know, I mean, it, it's it's you go, OK, it's it's military tactics and planning and this kind of thing. And you start to get the sense that all of this is is the substrate. I mean, it's a very, very solid grounding for it. And it, it's, it's easy to start separating um, uh, the Teddy's emotional states and his internal dialogue from what's happening around him. And it makes a nice contrast. So yeah, I thought the, that was very I, impressive. Believe it or not, I have no military background. I wasn't even an ROTC in school. 
but I've done, a, I've read a lot of books and I do a lot of research for any one of my books. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's one thing I pride myself on. One of the great things about the internet is that it just puts a huge amount of information at your fingertips that you used to as a writer have to dig and dig and dig for. Now, if I want to be able to write a plumber, say, into my story, I could write, you know, pull up plumber and, you know, and within, you know, plumber autobiography, you can actually uh, write convincingly enough that a reader will be able to think, yeah, you know what plumbing needs. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it is the great equalizer. I mean, it's, it, we used to have to go to the library and spend just Hours. spend half our lives there yeah. looking things up. Yeah. You know, now the you've Dewey got the Desmond university system. research library at your fingertips and the one who knows the best keywords wins. <laughs> it, 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 these days, yes. No, but, like your father. Like me. Well, yeah. and, well, and like you too. Yeah. I mean, she finds articles <laughs> for me all the time for stuff that I never knew existed uh, so that we can write articles about them on the Krypton Radio website. But uh, uh, but she comes from a. I mean, she works for a newsy family, and uh-huh. uh, you know, dad's dad was a a, a, a library amphibian and bibliophibian. That's a good term. And uh, yeah, so it the ability to find things, knowing the keywords, makes you a good researcher. You know, and knowing how and having some overview and knowledge of the how things generally are put together that give you the ability to do good research. Yeah. And so you've done it. Popping yeah. off the stack just a little bit, back to where we were. Back to, back so, to his books. Yeah. Well, no, 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 not, not that. I, you, I'm trying to continue to answer the question that was right. put mm-hmm. to me. Ah. Okay. And um, But basically, um, like I said, I have no military background other than my father was Air Force for a number of years, which doesn't help when you're talking about ground combat. But I have a number of friends who've been in the Army. Mm-hmm. And the tactics that you see in Toy Wars and that you will see in the sequel to it when it comes out next year are, are all World War II tactics okay, okay. and weapons, mind you. Okay, this none of what you read in that book would hold up today, as my um, mm-hmm. some of my um, beta readers tell me. <laughs> but what? I've I've pulled in a lot of their stuff for the Corp Gov, which there is a war that goes on in the Corp Gov as well. That um, I use more modern military tactics in that. So, what part of what happened in uh, Toy Wars wouldn't hold up today. I, I'm not. I'm not good enough at it myself to know the difference. Uh, to be honest, I'm not either. <laughs> if I if I re- you know I I didn't dig. They just basically said you know this is this is great World War II tactics maybe beginning Vietnam, and I said hey that works perfectly because that's the era of weaponry they have. That's mm-hmm. the you know you're talking about a new race. To, to be even, you know, a new race of toys, you know, to, to even be that far along is huge. 
and you got to remember a lot of the lot of their um, knowledge comes from old movies, you know, with John Wayne and things like that. Which the, the, you'll you'll see, you know, quips about you mm-hmm. know different movies and and books, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, Teddy, which who eventually names himself Don Quixote, um, Don Quixote quotes, you know. It's um, I, I'm just having a, I'm just stalled here. My brain is <laughs> going in so many directions at once. The uh, um, the tactics used uh, are you know, essentially based on the the weapons that that uh, the plants you know the the uh, fabricator plants that built these toys on these this alien world. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh the knowledge that they had and that knowledge has been corrupted by some hacker who got into the database and screwed it up and deposited um records of plans for toys instead of the military you know military grade robotics stuff that the plants were supposed to know about so if the battle tactics uh are from World War Two or earlier, um, you know, it's kind of to be expected because all of the weapons they have are sort of improvised out of other out of plans for other things. Right. You know, which is kind of the whole point. Yep. It's exactly the point. The 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 factories, these semi autonomous and not sentient factories, basically had to make a leap of of uh creativity of their own to get to the point where they could actually build these toys because their normal robot plans were gone. Mm -hmm. So it just, whatever they could come up with, they started putting in and it created this very Darwinian process in the book, you know, where toys that didn't and or weapons that didn't work. Sorry, I'm not going to build any more of you. So a bunch of these factories were sent to this alien world. Uh, and in the prologue, it mentions that, uh, that this, huh, it, it mentions that it was the first time that anybody had ever hacked in and, and dropped, you know, screwed up the database. Uh, it was also mentioned that it was the first time that they'd all sent that uh, all the drones had been drone ships had been sent to the same pl- same planet. Yeah, that was because of the hacker. Oh, because okay. of the hacker. So there, the, yeah. the fault was because of that. I was wondering about that. Yeah, it wasn't and ba- so basically, multiples of these these factories landed on the planet. They don't know the others are there. Right, because they all landed on different parts. And their basic programming, if you want to get it right down to the very beginning of it, is. Conquer and and rape, you know, rape the rape the land for whatever you can get out of it and send it back. Mm-hmm. Well, when they start meeting the toys of the other factories, they think they're, you know, part of the local fauna, and so they start fighting. That's how it, that's how the war starts, mm-hmm. and it's a mistake. It, it really shouldn't be happening because they're un, they're unable to identify uh, creations of their own manufacture. No, yeah, exactly. their own origin. So that that's that's the basis of the whole story, and then all the rest comes off of that. One of the factories is in trouble because it's in a bad spot, so it 
experiments more than the others. And that's how we ended up with the very first sentient toy on this planet, which is Don Quixote. Imagine, imagine how lonely he must be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't got to the part in the book yet where he's, uh, if, I mean, he's, he's going through this emotional process. Uh, he's, he's discovering that he has emotions and that they aren't in the manual. <laughs> Which is the exactly. first, the first thing he checks for is, is this in the manual? No. Uh, oh, am I malfunctioning? You know, and this kind of thing. And it doesn't even occur to him that being self-aware and asking these questions are also not in the manual. Not in the manual. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so at a certain point, I am, I'm guessing here, I'm going to project that he figures this out. <laughs> He he pretty much figures it out almost from the beginning that that he's different. He eventually, you know, he keeps learning more about himself. As mm-hmm. it, it's it is almost a journey of self discovery through this book. Oh, very much so. I, I it's all, almost nothing. I mean, it's it's really about his own journey of self discovery. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's uh, that is the thing that you're presented with on a plate. Uh, and it's, um, it's a very simple presentation as well. I mean, you have the, uh, the war going on around him and the, uh, the very impersonal factory named six, um, that is directing operations. And he realizes that he's the only one who gives a damn. Yep. You know, he's the only, the only creature that he can see that is aware of itself and cares what happens. Because the others just do what they're told. And that's yep. it. That's exactly right. In, so, in, a, in a brilliant segue, may I say that uh, Tony in the 80% solution is very similar in that respect. He's, he seems like the only sentient being that gives a damn in his world of the Corp Gov. Uh, oh, well, okay. So have you finished that one, yes, Susan? Yes. Okay. Tony is... Tony, I actually wrote that at a time where I was very, very down on corporate America. Yeah, really? You sure? Okay, yeah, really it shows, <laughs> right? And and to a certain extent, Tony is a extension of the way I was feeling at that time, which is, you know what? I'm doing this. It's a job. That's all it is. I have no more joy in it. Okay? And that's kind of the way he feels. And to the point where he's now, and this isn't me because I don't drink at all, but he, he starts drinking to excess, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But he's just the, the, Gene, you mentioned this at the very beginning, or uh, excuse me, no, it was Susan that mentioned this because they're, they're so different. The books are so different. Um, uh, Toy Wars is all first person from mm-hmm. the teddy bear's point of view. Mm-hmm. When you go to 80% Solution, all the CorpGov novels, it is, all third person, and each section of the story, and I'm not talking chapter, I'm talking like four pages or so, mm-hmm. follows a different character. It does. Okay. Including the bad guys. So you, and but together, it pulls together into a linear storyline. So Tony is just one of the characters. You also have Sonia, who's the leader of a guerrilla group trying to overthrow the corporations, 
who also happens to be a witch, by the way. Mm-hmm. And you've got um, the leader of the bad guys. I guess leader is the wrong word, but one of the key members, um, Nanogate. They only re- identify themselves with the name of their corporation. Mm-hmm. So that you follow many different characters and that – I don't won't say it expands because the number of characters that you follow tr- during a given book doesn't really expand all that much. But you learn more about some of the secondary characters as the story goes along. Well, everybody's got a reason for what they do. They're not always admirable reasons, but they've got them. Right. And, well, one thing that most people – I, I always people sometimes ask me, "How do you write a good bad guy?" And I said, "The best way to write a good bad guy is it's just someone who is being selfish." Remember that that a bad guy is never a bad guy in his own eyes. You can't. Oh be, yes, exactly. I, you he, cannot be self-loathing and continue to live. Yeah, but nobody wakes up this morning and says, "I think I'm going to be a mass murderer today." Right. You know, it doesn't work that way. It, I, I am sure, even though I have no proof of this, I am sure Hitler didn't sit there and go, oh, man, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to have a lot of fun killing me a bunch of Jews. No, he believed that he truly believed that the Jews were a negative part of the world and that he was doing a service by getting rid of them. We now think of him as a monster. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Okay. So, again, you got to realize that the bad guy doesn't think he's a bad guy. Okay. The corporations, they're steeped in tradition and the perks they get with being the corporate head and the power that they wield. Okay. It's normal for them. They're not being bad guys. This is the way it's always been. Why wouldn't it continue to be that way? Why can't I continue to run everybody else's life to make more profit for my company? I'm making my stockholders more money. That's the right thing. And this is what makes our villains, when we create them this way, and we should, uh, really worth having in the story. Because if they, if we don't motivate them this way, then they're just, they're boring. They're not real people. Exactly. It's, um, and the more self-deceiving they are, I think, relates directly to the uh, the level of perceived malevolence or evil in their uh, in their portrayal. You know, the more um, they live in their own little uh, self-reflective bubble, oh, the, yes. the more likely they are to be a terror and a hazard to everyone around them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, let's see. How many books do you have in the pipeline currently? Well, I've got four on the shelves. Uh-huh. I've got the Toy Wars and the three in the Corp the first three in the Corp Gov series. Mm-hmm. I'm currently writing. In fact, when you called, I was I'm working on. I'm forty five. Uh, call it forty six thousand words into the second book in the Toy Wars series, Toy World series, called Toy Reservations. Hmm. I've got 
Um, and Susan sings, you've gotten through it. You'll, you'll recognize what this means. Um, book two is the return of ISP. Uh oh. Okay. So, um, then we've got, um, I've got at least nine more planned for the CorpGov series. Mm-hmm. Um, between sequels and prequels and spinoffs, there's at least nine more there. I've got that dark novel that I mentioned to you called um, um, Wayward School. It's already written. It needs to be polished and, and cleaned up because it was re- written at the same time Toy Wars was. Mm-hmm. I have four other series. Oh, my gosh. That uh-huh. I am dying to write, but I don't have the time right now. I have to uh, – one of the things I've learned is – in this I really learned it as a reader, not a writer. But if I don't get a new novel in every series I have out to the customer every year. They'll forget about I, it. I lose my base. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, Toy Wars kind of stood on its own. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was a standalone book. Nobody had to have any of the other books. So I was able to keep writing in the, um, the CorpGov series with an 80% solution and the, and the follow ons. So I was able to keep, keep that up. My plan, if you will, if you, um, or want to hear this is. Yes, we do. Of course. Once I retire, officially retire from my day job, which unfortunately takes up about 50 to 60 hours a week. Ouch. Uh, right now I can get out one book a year even doing that. Okay. Once I retire, the minimum I can put out is three books a year. Oh, at least. Okay. Now, Toy Wars, I have a very definite arc. I've got either four or five. I haven't made up my mind, but I have four or five books. I know exactly what's going to happen at the end. And as soon as those books are over, I have no more plans for any more Toy World books. So the idea is to finish that arc, push that off to the side and mm-hmm. get moving on with, with the other series that I have. And the if great- I can write three books a year, mm-hmm. I can write a Toy Wars book, I can write a CorpGov book, and start in on one of my other series. Okay, then. And that sounds like um, that's that's a good solid workload for a science fiction writer. I mean, I, uh, people who write any faster than that tend not to produce very good quality. Yeah. On, on average. And on average. It, it And I could, I actually did the numbers... Okay, if I wasn't also doing the publishing business, Tanstaffel uh-huh. Press, that's right. I could probably put out five books a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, quality books. I'm not talking, you know, just putting eighty thousand words down on uh, you know, eighty thousand trash words down on paper. But I mean, a, a good quality, good quality stuff. I've done the numbers; it does work, but. It means working almost as hard as I am now, working effectively the full day job plus a full job doing the publishing and writing. So mm-hmm. I don't think I want to work quite that hard. Not quite. I, I, I can understand why. And you started Tonstoffel Press originally to publish your own work, but you have picked up other authors in the meantime, haven't you? Uh, yes and no. 
let, let, I'll put a caveat on there. So yes, I pub- created it first originally to make sure I got my own stuff out there. I read this wonderful book called The Well-Fed Self-Publisher. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's David Bowerman. I, I don't get anything for that, guys, that plug. Um, <laughs> but um, I re- my wife gave it to me as a Christmas present, and I read it, and I went, oh, my God, the traditional publishers, publishers are um, expletive-ing us, <laughs> fracking us. There we go. Yeah, That's a they, they kind of are. Okay. That one works. That one works. The, the traditional publishers, they're, they're, they're just fracking with us, you know, the, and they've got everybody wants to publish a book. Sure. So they mm-hmm. will always have some sucker that's willing to put their book in the slush pile and be thrilled that somebody picked it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Well, there's I, a certain I, amount of name recognition, you know. Oh, my, my book got picked up by Penguin, you know, or, or Daw Publishing or, or Sure, that's, that's great when you're talking to somebody. Uh-huh. What does it really equate to when you talk about selling it? Well, these days, not as much as it did. Nothing. It equates to almost nothing. The only thing that the big name publishers get that us little publishers don't is that they can actually put their books into the box bookstores. Well, there's really only one left. Barnes yeah, and Noble. Barnes and Noble. That's right. The rest of them are gone. The and, rest are gone. Okay, fine. They can do that. That's wonderful. But – um, the absolute, this will be, come as a shock to a number of people. The absolute worst place to sell a book is in a bookstore. Hmm. Huh? Because you get no control over it. They're going to put your book spine out. So all somebody's going to see is the title. Mm-hmm. They're not even going to see the image on the book. Okay. And you're there with 200,000 other books. You're not going to sell books that way. The only you way can, you can sell books that way is by reputation. That's right. You have all to the have selling happens. All the selling happens outside that store. Once, once you get a name like J.R.R. Martin, or you know, or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. George R.R. Martin, G.R.R. Martin, whatever. Yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> um, or or Tolkien or Heinlein or something like that. You put out a book. Sure, you're going to sell a whole bunch of them in the store, but before that time, uh uh-uh, ain't going to happen. You can sell a few at local bookstores because they like local authors and, Mm -hmm. you know, readers like to read something from people that are local. The bookstore is the absolute worst place for for an author to sell books. Well, that's a revelation. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about Amazon? I think Amazon is the greatest thing that's ever happened to small publishing. I I hate them because they're the big 90-pound gorilla and or 900-pound gorilla that gets to control everything. Mm-hmm. But if it wouldn't have been for them, we would still be clamoring and begging for Tor and Del Rey to publish our our work. Good point. Okay. Ebooks is the greatest boon to um, readers and authors alike that has ever been. I would have to, boy, I would, I would have to go along with that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, as long as they're I using their power for I'm, good. 
I'm one of the weird, weird people. I like when I'm at home to have a book in my hand, paper book. If I'm on the road, I want my ebook, I want my e-reader loaded because I don't, can't carry that many books. Mm-hmm. Okay. As an author, okay, let's say I sell my ebook for $4.99 on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I will probably make as much on that ebook that I spent nothing to put there. Okay. I will get as much off of that as I would get off of selling one print book at $14. Because the overhead is that much of the price of the book. Yep. Wow. I've, I've done wow. this. I've done this analysis so many times and people are just floored at what, at, at the costs involved. Now I'm, I'm flabbergasted and I just checked my flabber a moment ago and it really was blasted. <laughs> I'll check it for you later, darling. <laughs> this is a family show, dear. <laughs> so, um, that's, and yet here you are and it's, it's, uh, you have these physical paper books that you sell at the conventions yep. and, uh, but most of your sales are coming from online rather than, uh, rather than the physical copies. Okay. Yeah. So, what are the numbers like then? Okay, so let, let's back up half a step. I am unusual in that I am selling more paper books than ebooks. Hmm. Okay, I for whatever reason have not figured out the magic of how to get people to pick up my ebooks. I've had advice, I've taken and and done some different things and marketing online, and I'm just there seems to be some kind of disconnect, and I'm not making it there yet. Okay, mm-hmm. but face to face, get a book at conventions. I I rock those. Well, okay. it's you know it's Don Quixote and the you know that <laughs> yeah. group, that big display a bear with a machine gun is hard to miss. That's that's only half. That's that's not even half the battle. <laughs> that's okay. a quarter I'm, of I'm, I'm just I'm kidding, of course. It's a small, you know, you, yes, it brings the person close enough so that you can talk to them, but you also have to have enough charisma and personality to be able to talk mm-hmm. to the people. And the thing, here's another revelation for you. I don't sell books. You sell yourself. I market my books. Mm-hmm. I tell people what I have and every book on my table, even from my other authors, mm-hmm. I'm excited about those books and that excitement is catching. It is. And that's why I've, okay. One of my other authors, Bruce Graw. Okay. He has like eight other books that I won't publish because I'm not excited about them. I don't want anybody ever to come to my table and and have me say, "Yeah, that's a great book and that's a great book. Oh wow, that's awesome." No, don't don't that, that's no. No, don't bother with that one. No, I <laughs> I don't ever want uh-huh. that. I want to be able to sit there and go, "These are all awesome. Let's find out what will fit best for you." And that's that's the big piece of the equation. I mean, it's it's the same way with us. Um, we go to conventions and, and we do, uh, we do presentations and lectures and this kind of thing. And when we talk to people face to face and talk to them about Krypton radio, it's like, 
oh, wow, I had no idea. You know, this is really great, and you, do you have a card, and this kind of thing. But you can't get that same kind of contact, that same kind of connection from a, a simple ad or, or a listing in a website someplace. There's how do, the yep. connection how do you, is not how do you there. light the candle without yeah. being there? That's and so you and I, you and I, uh, we're in the same boat. Yeah, you and I have the same problem exactly. Yeah, you know. I I do very very well face to face, and you know, uh, you you mentioned how great it is that I you know turned at least a small profit in year two. Mm-hmm. We're starting to go into year four. We're seeing a forty percent year over year growth. That's really nice. That's okay. really impressive. Do you foresee a time when uh, uh, this could actually supplant the day job? I mean, it, at six, absolutely, at, at absolutely, six, at six figures, you still you still think that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I think I think this could very easily, maybe not full six figures, maybe mm-hmm. say. I think I figured out the numbers that uh, you know, with a very nominal amount of sales, and I'm talking. 2000 maybe 3000 that's not much for a even a b list author that's, so, are we so say, 2000 3000 a month or a year i don't i don't no, know no no 2 2 or 3000 sales of a book when it comes out oh i see for the entire okay. run okay so so in a year now remember i told you i'm i'm doing i'm talking about doing two you know talking about doing three books a year mm-hmm. well Three books times, we'll say two thousand units. Okay, you know, there's six thousand units. How much am I making from each one? Plus the income from my other authors. You know that you mm-hmm. know the, my share of of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It could easily add up. I, I like I said, I've done the math. We're talking it's between sixty and eighty thousand a year. That's a nice living. And, and and doing something you love. Exactly. And that's the key. If you do not love this lifestyle, you are dead before you start. Okay? And you've got to be, you know, most authors are introverts. Okay? Mm-hmm. We want to sit in front. In, I'm a hermit. I would much rather be at home and sit in front of my computer and type out words on my computer then be in front of people. But for some reason, when I go to conventions, I become an extrovert for that period of time. You, you, yeah, you simulate extroversion pretty convincingly. I, I don't even simulate it. It's, never it's a charge to me. If I had a dime for every writer I knew who, who was just an utter dud in person but had, had this brilliant voice in print, I, I could afford Starbucks every day. She'd have a day. lot of dimes. I'd have a lot of dimes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that eighty or $90,000 a year. There you go. Yeah. You know? And I'm not naming year, names, could, but some of them are very famous. I could probably write three books a year if I dedicated myself to that. Yeah, well... <laughs> Let's negotiate that later because you've got other things to do. Yeah, as well. getting the radio station off the ground has been an it's exercise been an in patience. But it's been an adventure. That's for sure. They're here to hear. Yeah, yeah, they're here to hear hear all about you, though. <laughs> um, so, um, how do you see Ton Stoffel Press expanding in the future? Okay, so I just. I think just before we met at um, Worldcon, 
Um, I had just, I just signed two new authors and I won't, first of all, I won't sign an author unless I've read some of his stuff and I'm excited about it. So I signed, I, I, my business plan only called for me signing one, mind you, but when you get two at the same time, do you throw one away? No, I, I chose to dig deep and sign two of them. So because it takes a lot of resources to develop uh, an author as as uh, as a property. Exactly. Are they, are they related to each other, or are they? Do they no, they're not. Okay. In fact, they're not even close. One lives in, uh, I think it's Austin, Texas, and the other one lives here in Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I met them each at con- conventions, different mm-hmm. conventions, I might add, and they are about as different people as you can think. Um, <laughs> Um, and, um, I've always, what I envision Tan Staffel Press as being is, I'm going to use the baseball metaphor. Everybody watch out. That's okay. Even though I don't like baseball. I think of Tan Staffel Press as a farm team. Okay. okay. I like taking someone who does not have a voice. Okay. By a voice, I mean, they don't have books out in print. They don't have a, group of people that follow them and watch every fan post that they make on whatever. I like taking a new author and bringing them in and giving them a place to express things and, and get out into the world. Okay. And my thinking is I'm going to end up with about, I think six is about the most I'll be able to do and still do everything else I want to do. Mm-hmm. So, I'll get up to the six authors, so myself and five others. And sooner or later, one of these people are going to get a big-name contract. Okay? And despite my own personal opinion of the big-name, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, people, I am going to say, go with my blessings. Okay? I want you to go if you want to go. And they will go on and... I will be able to point, yeah, hey, that was, he was one of my, one of my authors for five years. He was a great, great author. Read yeah, anything I, dis- I discovered this guy. Almost, and you get, and yeah. You, yeah. And you get to and bathe in his I afterglow can, for forever after that. And then I can pick up a new author who doesn't have a voice. Mm-hmm. And each of us lifts the other ones up. Okay. When I first started this, I, I put out, um, Toy Wars and an 80% solution. An author with two books on his table, nobody will even look at. I also published my friend, uh, my, uh, third, or my second author, Bruce Gross, first book. Okay. Now I have three properties. Together, we're lifting each other up. The next year, he and I each put out a new book. F- look, five properties. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next year, we're at seven properties now. Well, guess what? Next year, Bruce and I will each have a new book. I'll have one from Stephanie Weipert, one of my other authors, and Christopher Bayer. Um, I'll have a book from all of us. That's four new. So all of a sudden, I have 11 properties on the table. And each time this happens, every year this happens, uh, your your company rises. That's right. And so people, you know, people, one of the things I've been having a problem with is people come in. I get a lot of the younger people coming in because they see the bear 
and the cat and the and the the elephant that I have on my table, and they they go ooh stuffies, and so I end up with a lot of young people, but I have no young adult stuff. So one of the things I've been looking for is a young adult author. Bruce Gras writing a young uh, youth novel. That's the one coming out next year from him. Um, Stephanie Wipert just wrote a uh, wonderful about 80,000 word uh, young adult novel um, about a world where magic is done by cooking. Hey. And a young, <laughs> a young boy from our world gets transported over there. And he's got power, and so he becomes this pawn between two powerful chefs. Dude, <laughs> let me add it. And and his stepfather, who was in charge of him when he got pulled over, is crazily running around trying to catch up with him so that he can bring him home before his mom finds out he's missing. Okay? <laughs> it's an awesome novel. I love it. Okay? So we're going to have – I will now finally have youth – Material. I'll have a little bit of fantasy because that book's kind of fantasy oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, these are things that I haven't had in my press at this point, which I, you know, like I said, I, when I going out looking for authors, they have to meet, they have to be able to put out a book a year at least. So they have to be prolific. Um, I have to be in, love their work. And, uh, you know, I'm generally looking for, niches to fill for so when customers come up they say "Eh, i kind of prefer fantasy oh look i have this wonderful (laughs) book called sweet secrets by by this author that's fantasy awesome okay i'll have soon i will have something for everyone i'm looking forward to it i'm waiting for (laughs) toy wars merch (laughs) you're looking what toy Toy wars Wars merchandise. merchandise like you know, gun bears and well, you you laugh, okay? Flame throwing <laughs> rabbits. Yeah. Uh, well, you laugh, but I'm looking at creating about a what about a seven inch high version of my big stuffed teddy. Yay! I want one with a machine gun. <laughs> with with a rubber machine gun, <laughs> it, with the awesome. battle damage on it, just basically looking just like the big one, only in miniature. That's awesome. Okay. Thomas Gandolfi, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of The Event Horizon. It's been I've loved a pleasure. It. We are we have been speaking with Thomas Gandolfi, the author of uh, Toy Wars and The 80% Solution and a bunch of other books. Uh, <laughs> Tonstoffel Press is the name of his publishing company. Please go visit that. And um, we're very glad to have had you with us. Well, thank you for having me here. I've enjoyed it a great deal. You two are wonderful people. I don't think I've laughed so much in quite a while. (laughs) Thank you for joining us this evening for episode 117 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for October 10th, 2015 with your hosts Gene Turnbow and Susan L. Fox. Our guest this evening has been science fiction writer and publisher Thomas Gondolfi, author of Toy Wars. To buy the book, you can find it on Amazon.com or visit TonStoffelPress.com. By way of disclaimer, yes, at the time of this interview, Tonstoffel Press is a sponsor of Krypton Radio, but Krypton Media Group received no compensation for Mr. Gandalfi's appearance this evening on the Event Horizon, and the decision to invite him to be on the show was made prior to their sponsorship of the station. 
This episode will air again on October 11th, 2015 at 4 p.m. Pacific and at additional times throughout the coming week. See our website for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at katcarter at kryptonradio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was Larry Newman. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by the Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>